Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a story burning inside of you? To be driven by a head-banging compulsion to make every word, sentence, and paragraph authentic? Or experience the magic that happens when the imaginary people in your head become real to other people? I have. I'm Maddie Margarita, and this is Character Floss, a conversational deep dive into the psyche of compelling characters and the authors who create them. My guest today is Saul Velchek, author of Save Me from Dangerous Men. Saul holds a BA in English from Amherst College and an MA from Dartmouth. He has taught and edited both fiction and nonfiction writing and served as a mentor for the Penn American Center Prison Writing Program. Saul's debut novel, Save Me from Dangerous Men, was published in 2019. It has been optioned for film and television, and the foreign rights have sold in multiple countries. He is a member of the Mystery Writers of America and International Thriller Writers and has appeared as a panelist discussing mystery and crime writing at literary festivals and events across the country. He is represented by LGR Literary Agency, and his next book will be published in 2020. He divides his time between California and New Hampshire. Welcome, Saul. Maddie, thank you so much. It's great to be on with you, and it's great to be talking again. I feel like every time we have a conversation, I always enjoy it so much it doesn't quite feel like work. So thanks so much for having me. Well, that's um, really nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> I think the last time we saw each other was at Thriller Fest um, in New York. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. What was the best part of being there for you, um, coming there with a successful novel that's received so much critical acclaim? I think, I think hands down the most exciting thing about Thriller Fest, and this was my first, the first one I'd ever attended, so it was fun being there as not just an attendee, but as a debut author. But I think that hands down the most exciting part was just getting to actually be in a room with some of these writers who I knew so well through their writing and have loved reading for so many years, but to hear them in actual conversation and just to be continuously blown away by how articulate they are, how funny they are, how uh, captivating they are, not just when they're on the page, uh, but also just speaking. So, you know, getting to hear Karen Swatter interviewing Lisa Unger, you know, getting to hear Stephen Hunter, you know, getting to hear Harlan Coben, all of these people whose books I've read so much. It was very exciting just to get to be in the room with them. You know, I, I know how you feel. I mean, I have always been a, a major fan of Myron Bolitar. Uh, I know a lot of people like uh, Harlan Coben's standalones, but I have read every single Harlan Bolitar uh, book. And I always thought, who would ever think about creating like a six foot five, six foot nine Jewish guy who plays basketball for the Knicks and then, you know, becomes this uh, sports agent, PI person. I'm like, wow, it took some imagination. And then I saw Harlan Coben for the first time. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> he is the tall. He, he must have been the tallest guy there. Uh, and I realized maybe it wasn't that much imagination. And I sort of felt that way when I met Lee Child for the first time and heard him speak with a British accent. And I was like, why is Lee Child speaking with a British accent in front of everybody? We all know that he writes Jack Reacher. He can't be British. So I know exactly what you feel. Being so close to them and getting to, the, to know them is really an amazing experience. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I remember one evening I'm, I'm walking through the hotel and, you know, going towards probably towards the, hell, the hotel bar at that point of the night. Yeah, and I see someone who... I see someone who looks a little familiar and sure enough, it's R.L. Stein, you know, someone oh who God. I, you know, at a certain age, I read every Goosebumps book I could get my hands on. And here's the guy standing five feet away from me. So just, you know, getting to come up and to him and shake his hand and 
meet him and his wife and just tell him how much I grew up loving his writing. I mean, that that kind of thing you can only find at uh, events like Thriller Fest. Well, it was it was a great experience, and I'm so excited that you've had so much success with Save Me from Dangerous Men. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the story and why you decided to write that story? Sure, absolutely. So the you know I I came up with the character of Nikki Griffin before I ever thought about plot or anything like that. Uh, and so I literally Nikki I literally dreamed her up in the sense that I woke up at about three in the morning one day and lay there in bed thinking about this character and just feeling the character kind of coalesce as uh, the sky lightened and the dawn approached. And by the time I fell back asleep, I really felt like I had this essential, the essential duality to the character, which was that she's a bookseller by day um, and that she is a vigilante and a PI by night. And I felt like that, that duality was, what was necessary for a book to exist, much less a series or anything else. Um, then all of the other details kind of, um, you know, came, came to me, you know, she rides a, an Italian motorcycle in a Priya and she, um, you know, takes on um, not just any vigilante work, but specifically working for women who've been wronged or abused in their own lives um, and have no one there to fight for them and no one to look out for them um, and are kind of helpless to, right the wrongs that have been done to them and to me it was very satisfying to get to create a character like nikki griffin who can go out there and she can kind of uh right the wrongs and you know even the scales uh i think an important part to nikki is that she's a very fierce uh protector of people and whether you're talking about the people closest to her like her best friend jess who runs the bookshop with her or her brother brandon who is in this first book, a heroin addict and who's suffered a lot and who Nikki tries to help as much as she can, or whether you're talking about a completely random person or a stranger that Nikki simply runs into um, and tries to help if she senses something uh, is wrong. Uh, I think that that's kind of a big part of who she is, that she's unable to simply walk past a problem without uh, turning and trying to fix it. So then as I, as I came up with the character, I felt like the plot sort of coalesced around her. Uh, and in this case, Nikki, um, who runs a bookstore in Berkeley, is hired by the CEO of this Silicon Valley company to um, follow an employee who he says has been stealing company secrets and selling them on the open market. And that plot was it was fun for me because I live I live in Berkeley myself and for better or worse, I've spent significant time down in Silicon Valley, maybe for worse, <laughs> but um, <laughs> to be honest, but, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I was, I was there, especially at a time when all these tech companies were um, so vaunted, you know, this was a couple years ago. And now obviously there's a lot of, I believe, well justified national skepticism about whether what these what these big huge companies are actually doing and how good for the average person they actually are but i think a few years ago there was a lot less of that i think a few years ago it was much more about cheerleading for the next huge ipo and the next place that was going to make the world that much better than you know the one before 
And I just felt this kind of skepticism. I drive around all these towns, you know, Cupertino and Sunnyvale and, you know, San Jose and Milpitas and all the towns that make up Silicon Valley. And I'd see these big, huge, you know, kind of uh, glassy walled, opaque firms in these, you know, bland office parks, just miles and miles of them where there used to be nothing but orchards and orange groves. And I just think to myself, they they all say they're making the world better and you drive past a million billboards, you know, where improving lives and changing things and breaking and shaking and all of that. But I was thinking there's got to be something else going on, you know, behind some of these opaque windows. There has to be some uh, less altruistic, you know, machinations happening. Yeah. Well, and so done... to me, it'd be. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think you did a great job. Um, um, creating that that sense of haunting <laughs> that um, you know that we're being watched over, and I think you know having setting Nikki in her bookstore, which kind of feels low tech and very touchy and touchy feely, and then with the juxtaposition of her against tech company and the infringement on privacy and some of these other things that you brought up really make the plot itself more complicated. But I mean, as if Nikki isn't complicated enough, um, I think in his review, Lee Child said Jack Reacher would love Nikki Griffin. But before we get to that, I have to ask you a really important question. Who do you see playing Jack Reacher in Lee Child's upcoming Amazon series and why? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Besides is... Tom Cruise. I mean, he's out. We know that, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, not, I was one of those people, I was one of those people who, um, who was never, I'm such a diehard, you know, Reacher fan, and I've read every one of the books at least once, but I was never, um, I was never on board with the Tom Cruise thing. I just, I, yeah. not, not to say that an actor, he's a great actor, and obviously any great actor can play anyone they want, but it was just, you know, it was it was something about it, and I, I I know I'm not the only Reacher fan to make this point. Yeah. Now that um, Tom's out, because he won't do um, small screen, he'll only do big screen, um, and they're searching for uh, the lead in the Amazon series. Who who do you see? I'll tell I'll tell you. Oh like gosh. My, my top thoughts would be Dwayne Johnson, John Krasinski, Timothy Oliphant if he can ever shake the Raylan Givens thing that he's got going on and maybe Alexander Skarsgård, although he's a little, those are, thin, but what do you think? Those are, you know, those are great. Those are great names. And, you know, I'd say Dwayne Johnson, you know, it's, if I had never seen the show ballers, I would be a little oh, more unsure yeah. about that, yeah. but he can, he can get dark and he can, he can get heavy. And I think he'd make a fantastic reacher. Um, Alexander Skarsgård, he's got the height, I think, and he's got kind of that, you know, ice cold, um, look to him. So I think he'd be another wonderful choice. The only name that I would add to that, uh, list, what about Tom Hardy? He would be good. Yeah. And he, to me, in some of his roles, he can have this, um, you know, very kind of frightening, physicality this kind of roughness to him uh but at the same time i think that there's a bit of soulfulness under all of that uh and he's got he can be as gruff as he needs but he always seems like someone who cares a little bit too and i could i could see him filling reacher's very large shoes <laughs> yeah we're not exactly sure we know he carries the toothbrush in his um pocket but we're not sure about his shoe size 
So I know that you've optioned the TV and movie rights for um, Dangerous Men. Who do you see playing Nikki? That is that is a terrific question, and it's one I don't. I mean, there's there's so many incredible actresses out there who would be. Uh, I think I'd be so honored if they, you know, even look twice at the book. So I'd have to I'd have to think about that one. I think there's a lot of a lot of amazing names who could do an just an absolutely amazing job with the character. But I'd have to I'd have to think who the perfect Nikki would be. What do you think about Kristen Ritter? Um, Jessica Jones. Do you think she's? What do you think about her? Have you seen I think Jessica she, Jones? I think she. I have. Yeah, and I think she would be an amazing Nikki. Um, mm-hmm. I think she'd be an, an absolute. I think one of the reasons why I almost didn't um, mention her was just because of the fact that as Jessica Jones, I feel like she's been so close not yeah. not so close to that exact character, mm-hmm. but close mm-hmm. enough to that um, to that role that yeah. it almost seems a little too uh, repetitive to imagine her taking on Nikki, but. If she ever did, that would be amazing. It's a little bit like, for instance, you know, I think, um, you know, I, I think someone like um, Rooney Mara would be an amazing Nikki, oh. but she's been but there, she's, done that. Right. You know, she's done the Dragon Tattoo series. Right. And so it's almost too spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I sort of feel that way about my choices for Reacher. And of the guys that I named, the actors, the only one that I feel doesn't come with that predisposition or or feeling is John Krasinski because Timothy Oliphant I see is you know Raylan Givens Alexander Skarsgård I still see Eric from True Blood um, oh yeah we always and, will forever right and Dwayne Johnson I see him with kids falling off of him for some reason I don't know but I see kids, kids are, are 60 foot crocodiles right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right so he's, he does have some flexibility there Okay, so with, with all that silliness out of the way, um, what is it that you uh, about Nikki that you think would appeal to Jack Reacher? So when Lee Child read your book and he said that, what is it about Nikki that you think would appeal to Jack? Which, which by the way, made my day, to put it mildly. A, a funny story that could have been not funny is um, I got that email, and I know that no one's ever supposed to touch their phone in their car, but I did, and I got the email from my publisher with the Lee Child blurb that came in and I came so close to rear-ending the car in front of me because <laughs> I saw the word Lee Child and just had my phone in front of my face. So well, Thank you for confessing that um, on radio. If you hear a knock on the door, don't answer it. Well, exactly. I, mean, I was, I was going to send Lee Child my, uh, my auto bill and say this is yeah. all your fault. <laughs> I, you know, when I first saw the blurb, I was like, wow. I mean, just to be able to say that he blurbed your book, but to, you know, say that, you know, Jack Reacher would be interested in your character, that had to be very cool. But did you think about that? Did you wonder why he said that? What was it about her that made him say that? I I like to think, and, you know, Reacher is obviously kind of on the Mount Rushmore of, um, you know, of of characters in in this type of book, this genre. Um, I like to think that, there would be qualities about Nikki that he would appreciate. Uh, I think that to an extent, they're both loners. Uh, certainly Reacher is, you know, far more mobile than she is and constantly on the road and has almost nobody of permanence in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, um, you know, a huge part of Reacher's uh, mentality is that he lost his brother. His brother was murdered 
uh, Nikki's brother is happily alive, but she's in constant fear of his, um, of his health. She's in constant fear of his safety. And so maybe they'd under have a kind of understanding, um, based on the sibling angle. I think that neither one of them really likes to waste words. I don't think either one of them could ever be accused of having a bark that was worse than their bite. So that's certainly, I think, an element that might make Reacher appreciate Nikki. And I think in some ways they have the same value system. They're not, you know, they're not moral people in any traditional sense. Um, after all, both of them, you know, are responsible for a number of bodies. Exactly. Yeah. They, right. they, they have a distinct morality and it's not Oh, morality that kind of um, we find commonly day to day in the world. But at the same time, it's a very clear system of, in Nikki's case, proportion proportionality that she will not overreact to something. If someone does something, she's going to kind of measure the, the harm done by that action and not just go on guns blazing and, you know, mow down the whole room of people. And I think Richard has that, too. So I think both of them are governed by this very clear set of rules and ethics that they really do live by. And those are foreign to most of us, but they're also clearly identifiable. And I think that maybe Reacher would appreciate that Nikki is kind of on that wavelength. Now, I know you weren't anticipating the dating game here, but um, (laughs) (laughs) Reacher is certainly different from her love interest in the book, a polar opposite sort of comes to mind when you were <laughs> framing somebody that uh, Nikki could be with, how, how did you come up with him and why did you go the way that you did? Because he is, he doesn't seem to have the strength of uh, convictions and physical strength that Nikki has. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah. So he, Nikki meets her uh, kind of love interest in the uh, book. Uh, they meet at a late night diner Um and indeed, they could not be more opposite. She has just come from beating a guy's uh, head into his coffee table uh, for something that he did that, uh, not that he didn't merited deserve exactly. It. Right. 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 He, he merited exactly that sort of right. punishment. Um, and meanwhile, Ethan, her soon to be or potential boyfriend, uh, has come from turning in his uh, dissertation. And he's a Ph.D. student at Berkeley, UC Berkeley, right up the street, uh, who's an English major. And they... Certainly neither one of them, uh, it's not, you know, meeting on Tinder. Neither one of them is expecting or looking for anything at that exact moment. And so they, and they sit down and then they kind of, you know, they discover that they have this mutual, not even an affinity, a, you know, a passion, a real love for, uh, for books and literature. And I think that immediately, immediately, uh, gives them something, uh, of a connection, you know, a way that brings them together. Then I think that for Nikki, in some ways, her life is kind of chaotic. Uh, she lives in a world, a, a, a lot of the world that Nikki is in is um, violent and dangerous and unpredictable and highly stressful. And I think for Nikki, it's not really that she thrives and seeks out that kind of world. I think it's more that she simply feels that she has to be placed within it um, in order to protect the people who need protecting. So right. I think that someone like Ethan really kind of appeals to her. You know, she she loves the idea that instead of um, doing something, you know, wildly glamorous or certainly wildly dangerous, you know, she, she doesn't want to go uh, 
climbing Half Dome without a rope on her day off. I think that the idea that she could sit down with her boyfriend on the couch and order, you know, Thai food and watch an old uh, film noir or something like that. I think that's more what she's going for uh, when she's not out solving puzzles and cracking heads. So I think that the notion of stability appeals to her a lot. The notion that here's someone where she can kind of relax with and be yourself. Now, obviously, that's a two-way street because part of the tension in the book is that Ethan, once he starts dating Nikki, starts to realize pretty quickly that she is not a normal uh, girl in some ways, a normal woman. And yes, I, I think that's pretty apparent when um, she takes down those muggers in that scene. But um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think Nikki is a tough um, person. You know, I, I was reading some of the reviews and, you know, people were equating her to um, Lisbeth Salander and whatever. But I really felt like Nikki was a much more relatable character. And this is obviously my personal opinion, but there were a couple of scenes like that scene in the diner that, that you were referring to where Nikki has that experience of being a townie versus, you know, the, <laughs> the, the guy, the Ivy league guys, you know, in the diner. Um, and also when she goes to Ethan's house and whatever, you know, you definitely feel her as a, an outsider, but um, <laughs> not that you didn't go to, um, you know, Amherst and Dartmouth, but, um, did you, where any of your private or personal experiences kind of form that feeling or maybe your, um, teaching days at the prison, you know, seeing the outsider versus the insider or like the power dynamic help you develop her in such a way that we're able to relate to her, even though she is, does have that vigilante, um, aspect to her personality? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of it is I've seen those moments here and there in my life and I've I've thought about them a lot in a way that maybe stuck with me when I was forming the character. Um, you know, I remember for example, when I was going to, you know, college in Amherst, um, which in some ways is um you know, it's a Amherst is a small liberal arts college in the Northeast and obviously that draws, you know, um many different types but also certain, you know, types, I I should I suppose. And I, during, you know, on, on afternoons or evenings, um, I was boxing at the time at this local gym, which was in Northampton, you know, down the road a couple of miles that just drew this totally, totally different group of people. And it was really a kind of wonderful place where I felt in some ways, as much as, you know, colleges and, you know, institutions talk about diversity, you know, walk into a boxing gym at, you know, eight o'clock on Thursday evening. And you really start to see that. And I feel it to me that became this kind of welcome uh, reprieve from the day-to-day college atmosphere where I could be interacting with people, both sparring in the ring and just, you know, talking afterwards or hanging out with just such a wonderful array of, you know, types and personalities uh, that I think that moments like that made me appreciate um, trying to kind of uh, look at any situation or any uh, location. and get the most out of it. You know, that going to that gym gave me uh, a dimension. Uh, it gave me something that I wasn't getting in my day-to-day undergrad life. And I think that I grew to kind of um, value and even treasure that as I continued, you know, becoming a part of that. Um, so I think, I think, mom- I think moments like that certainly are ones that I try to keep my eye out for in my life. Uh, I'm not sure whether with greater or lesser success, uh, but I do 
I do value that. I do value trying to, you know, um, trying to look, look for those uh, places in those moments, I guess. So what, what aspects of Nikki's characters comes from you and which characteristic of hers would you like to have in real life? Oh gosh. You know, I, I remember when, um, when I first wrote this uh, book, the original manuscript, I showed it to Tim, one of my best friends, who is a winemaker up in Napa, and he reads everything that I write. And he read this and he said, you know, really, Nikki's, you know, um, much cooler than you and much more interesting. And she's prettier <laughs> and she's better read. And she's smarter yeah. and she's yeah. much tougher, much more of a badass. <laughs> and he reeled off all these characteristics and then thought it over and said, but other than that, you know, she's really just like, you know, Hey, <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, okay, so we both like books, <laughs> but, but I think that, um, you know, I'll, I'll joke aside. I mean, I, I think that, I think, you know, in, in terms of when I, when I think of commonality, um, with Nikki, certainly, you know, I, I grew up in rural New Hampshire. I grew up in a dirt road in the middle of the woods and she grew up in uh, a little beach town in Bolinas, you know, in the Bay area or just North of, you know, San Francisco. But that being said, we both do live in Berkeley, and I think that both of us would probably share an appreciation for this uh, kind of magnificent quirkiness uh, that Berkeley brings to the table. Um, I think certainly both of us are book lovers. I always tell people, I said my dream in real life was to open a used bookstore, and when I eventually started to realize that might be a fantasy, I did the next best thing, and I created a character who runs a used bookstore. And to me, that is that is another thing that we um, I I cannot walk past a bookstore without stopping. I don't care where I am. I don't care if I'm late for the most important meeting in my life. If I go past a bookstore, my feet slow, my head turns and suddenly I'm staring in the window and usually walking in. And I think that Nikki would proudly share that quality. I think another thing is uh, a love for libraries. I mean, when I was in elementary school, still some of my most, you know, uh, vivid memories are every day after school walking across to the town library. You know, our, our town didn't have all that much. It didn't have traffic lights. It didn't have restaurants. It didn't have, you know, shopping or anything like that. It was a tiny, tiny little town, but it did have a library. And I spent a huge chunk of, you know, my childhood in it. In the same way that Nikki, at a certain point of her life, uh, when she is about 14 years old, a library really saves her. And obviously, it saves her in a much more dramatic way than my own situation. But I think both of us would certainly share this uh, unique appreciation for um, libraries as an institution and as a kind of second home. I think um, a few other things. We both ride motorcycles. So that's uh, Nikki rides a cooler motorcycle than I do, without a doubt. <laughs> But, of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. But we, mm -hmm. we both enjoy that. Um, so those those are, I think, a few of the things that we would have in common. I We certainly uh, share an appreciation for a good martini. And I think we would both heartily agree that a good martini should never be made with vodka, only with gin. Oh. So those are, those are some of our commonalities. Yeah, yeah. Total so, traditionalists, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when you were making... Uh, Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. So when let's say when Nikki was making the references to the book references to her customers coming into the bookstore, 
um, which I really enjoyed seeing which books she would recommend to who. Did you put in your personal preferences or were you using those references as a window into her personality and to help us learn what she, who she was? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and that was something that was so much fun for me to be doing. You know, I actually, I had fewer bookstore scenes in the original draft, uh, my first draft of this book. And the reason for that was I thought I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to bore anyone. If someone's picking the book up, you know, for a thriller, I don't want to put in endless, you know, bookstore references. And my publishers who are just so spot on about this as they are with pretty much everything else as well. Uh, they just pointed to that and immediately said, no, we want more of this. You're, you know, the people reading this book are going to want more of that. And I really felt kind of like a dog who was let off the leash and I could just start <laughs> running very joyfully. And that was a lot of fun for me on the rewrites to be able to get into that. Some of the, you know, some of the, um, books are absolute, you know, favorites of mine. Quite a, you know, quite a few of them. There's other situations where I think it's more about me trying to, think of what a character would need and how Nikki might look at this person uh, in her shop and think, what's the best recommendation I can make? So, for example, when, you know, a uh, grandfather comes in early in the book and he needs to buy books for his grandson and he says, you know, the boy likes being outside and, you know, likes outdoor stuff. That was fun because I could put myself exactly as I was as a, you know, a 12 year old and I could say, well, okay, you know, Gary Paulson with Hatchet or, you know, Ernest Thompson Seaton with The Lives of the Hunted or I could come up with some of these names that to me were just the fun sort of immediate, you know, choices that came to mind. Um, other situations, you know, when, for example, a woman who's just been through this bad divorce comes in and Nikki gives her an Ella Ferrante book. And, you know, that was something where I have never been in the mindset and position of that character but at the same time that's a book that i love and i think perhaps that's a book that would resonate with someone who's been through something like that to read it and kind of realize at the end that you can walk away stronger in spite of even a pretty bad experience but choo choosing the books for those scenes was a lot of fun for me and i've been doing a lot more of that in the sequel trying to come up with the perfect book to match the occasion or the person Well, that brings me to the, my next question is, how is that going? I know that it's due out in 2020 sometime. Is that right? Yeah, they've actually, they pushed it back to early 2021. Um, oh. So that's the... Breathe? That's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it's nice for me because I've been, um, I'm just getting my last revisions on it finished up. And it's been, it's been so fun getting back into it. I think writing a sequel... And, you know, or writing a series, uh, I think it makes it so interesting because you already know the character um, and whether you're doing callbacks with some of the secondary characters that people enjoyed or whether you're starting this uh, protagonist out once again on a new case and a new adventure. It becomes very fun because you start to really feel like you're on familiar territory in the sense that I can see different situations and think, OK, this is probably how Nikki would react in this situation, or this is probably something that she'd do in that situation. Uh, the sequel for me has been a lot of fun. I came up with, um, really, I mean, I wish I, I wish I could outline books. I can. I'm just a terrible outliner. For me, I really have to see what people, I, see, I have to see what people are doing. I think Stephen King put it the best way when he said, 
I can't do plot because I have to put my characters in a room and see what happens, see what they do. You know, and I think that was just a very brilliant way of putting, of, of articulating, um, for a writer what it is to really have characters who are somewhat independent of your own wishes. Mm-hmm. So in this sequel, Nikki is hired by a uh, kind of wealthy, old money San Francisco family to chase down, follow and chase down a con man who has been kind of uh, harassing and preying upon the elderly matriarch of the family. And of course, you know, this being the mystery thriller genre, nothing is exactly as it seems. And she starts to realize soon that, uh, you know, the people who are both good and bad aren't necessarily, act, you know, actually matching up to the superficial appearances. Mm-hmm. And she starts to find herself wrapped up in a case that she did not at first glimpse in any way when she was hired. But it's been it's been a lot of fun for me, I think. Not to give too much of a teaser, but one of the elements is that this con man um, recognizes something in Nikki that no one else really does in her life. And she recognizes kind of that same spark in him. And I think that playing back and forth between Ethan, who her boyfriend, who actually is asking her to he wants to move in together and he's teaching at Berkeley. Uh Yeah. And so that's. And it's a relationship that she knows is good for her and that she is very happy with. But at the same time, she can't help but start to recognize that this guy is presenting a different kind of excitement um, that she doesn't have in her normal relationship with this kind of civilian boyfriend. And I think part of the book is Nikki kind of coming to terms with that and being challenged by it and starting to have to admit to herself um, that she's feeling these things for someone whom she's pretty sure she should not be feeling them for. Again, so that to me has been, yeah, that's been a fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe we've all been there in, you know, in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that's the sequel. And are you writing anything else or what is the future holding for you? So a few different things. I mean, in terms of the Nikki series, I absolutely want to um, continue it. I'm in between revisions on the second one. I'm also working on the third one as well, which is going to take place up in Napa and involve a murder in wine country, which I think will not just be very fun to write, but also a great excuse to To spend way too much time doing field research. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I feel So that's... uh, yeah, yeah. Who who doesn't who doesn't have to go do research in Napa? Right, right. So, um, so yeah, that I've also been working on putting together um, a book of short stories. Um, there's a nonfiction project that I've been thinking about. So there's a few different things that I'm working on on any given moment. But for the Nikki series, that's something that I absolutely hope and want to continue um, because I think that there are um, plenty of adventures for her that I could dream up and. You know, the reaction from readers has been really favorable overall. People have liked the character and the story. So I'd love to continue the Nikki series and see where it takes me over the course of, you know, X number of books. Well, that's that's a lot. Are you writing full time? Sort of. Uh, so one of the things that I do is I teach at Dartmouth College. Uh-huh. And I usually I usually teach one term a year there. What do you and teaching? I love I love the teaching. I teach graduate uh, creative writing. Uh, so, for example, this past summer, I did a short stories class. That was a lot of fun. It just I I love putting together a syllabus and kind of pulling up in my apartment with 
you know, a huge stack of, um, you know, short story, you know, authors and books uh, to start putting together the collection. And the teaching is something that I always want to continue. You know, uh, it's just a great community there. Um, it just draws people, you know, at any one moment in a class, I have people from all over the world and different ages and totally different backgrounds. And when you're working on creative writing and especially when you're workshopping, I think that kind of diversity is just so, so, so essential, you know, for the best kind of class. Mm-hmm. So Dharma, the Dharma's teaching is something um, that I do. It's probably no coincidence that I tend to teach in the warmer seasons uh, rather than the winter because I have been spoiled, spoiled rotten by sunny California. But I always, you know, I think for me that a, a pretty ideal situation would be continuing to write and to teach um, at the same time for as long as anyone wants me to be doing both of those things. Well, I, I think anybody who reads anything that you write will pray that you keep writing and keep doing what you're doing. I mean, I read um, Save Me from Dangerous Men in a day. Uh, so, I mean, I would not put it down. That is way, that's way, and that's night. way too nice of you, but thank you. Yeah. Way, day <laughs> and night. Um, so way into the wee hours of the morning. Um, I mean, I really enjoyed it. For me, it was kind of like equalizer meets, oh, I don't know. I have to think who has the compassion and the, the bookstore feeling to it. But, you know, she is a character who stays with you and, um, she meets the criteria of this podcast, which is, I think, um, very compelling. So um, thank you for doing that, uh, for writing her, and thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. I, I mean it that I always always have very fun conversations with you. I guess now we've done we've done a panel in Orange County. Uh, we've chatted at Thriller Fest, the podcast. So in New I'm, York. Like, I'm looking forward to the yeah, New York. So I feel like next time we need a, a new media format combined with a new location just to keep the street going. Yeah, I'm thinking since you're Northern California and I'm Southern California, Napa sounds pretty good to me. That that sounds great. Let's <laughs> let's do some research up in Napa. All right. Okay. That you've got a deal. How do people follow you and see what you're doing and keep up with you? What do you what are your social media details? I'm going to put them in the show notes, but. Um, go ahead and share those with us. Oh, yeah, for sure. So people can go to my website and sign up for my newsletter at www.salelchuk.com. That's S-A-L-E-L-C-H-U-K.com. They can also follow me on Twitter at S-A-Lelchuk and on Instagram at S-A-Lelchuk. And they can find my Amazon author page and my Facebook page, which is... Um, I should know the Facebook page off the top of my head. Well, well don't, don't worry about that. I'll, I'll find it and yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. So that's fine. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So, um, is, and, are, and do you have anything coming up uh, in the near future or anything, any appearances, signs yeah. that you want to talk about real quick? Yeah. So I'm doing, um, I'm doing a couple really fun events coming up and um, coming up in the Bay Area. And I'm going to, pause just because I want to double check the dates, but I'll be doing an event for Litquake. Oh, and give me just so Litquake. Yeah, a very cool thing. And when you see uh, or if you see Naomi Hirahara uh, from Pasadena, I know I just saw um, something that said she'll be at Litquake. Please tell her I said hello. She's got I will. Absolutely. She's got a new book out called Iced in Paradise. And she uh, just I think got a um, Anthony Edgar. Oh, 
nomination for um, Hiroshima Boy. So if you see her there, tell her I said hi. I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll keep an eye out for her. That book sounds great. And the, um, yeah, the event I'm doing is it's Friday, October 18th at 630 at the Oakland Public Library on 14th Street. All right. So that'll be a really fun one. Yeah. And then also I'm doing another one for uh, Mystery Week. I'm just going to double check the. That's okay. And uh, I will also be putting them in the show notes. So go ahead. Mystery Week. Yeah, and that's going to be at the El Cerrito Library on Tuesday, October 22nd. And it's going to be a really fun lineup of local authors. Okay. Well, see, all you people in the Bay Area, get out and uh, make sure you see Saul when he's in your neighborhood. I'm going to put, like I said, I'm going to put those um, social media details in the show notes. Uh, Anyone interested in my writing appearances or Lit Up OC, the literary salon I host in Orange County, California, can find that in the show notes as well. Uh, I want to thank you all for taking this journey with me. I'm uh, especially you, Saul. (laughs) I'm Maddie Margarita, (laughs) and this is Character Floss on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. 